Uh, before we uh, jump into the sermon here, I'm going to give you a couple of quick updates. First, um, Labor Day weekend, September the 4th, correct? Uh, Beth Guckenberger will be coming to speak. Todd and Beth Guckenberger are the directors of back-to-back ministries. Love Beth. Noted her since she was, uh, she was actually in my youth group when I was a youth pastor. She's an incredible speaker, a great storyteller. Beth is a great storyteller. You will want to invite people uh, on Labor Day. If you are home, if you are breathing in home, okay, you need to make sure you're not skipping church on uh, September the 4th because it's going to be a great, great Sunday. That's first. Um, second, um, please remember your, uh, your tithe. I, a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, I said, hey, man, where we're scooting right along, best summer we ever had. I should have never said that. Because then, like, three weeks later, it's like, ding, ding, ding. So please remember your giving. I'll tell you, things are going extremely well, all right, extremely well. We're not spending more than we have, so it's not like we're in the red or anything. Just budget-wise, we're a little low, and it kind of holds us up from doing things we want to do. But um, the, uh, the front of the Grace Impact Center is pretty much, pretty much finished. If you haven't seen it, you have to go over and see it. The back section is looking really good. I mean, we got that whole wall, drywall, that one big wall that was just the metal studs. It's drywall. We dropped the ceiling down in some areas and put the insulation in there. All the lights are up in the, in this, in the, uh, in the roof there and the ceiling. Um, we also have the company that sold us the flooring is giving us netting that goes across the entire length of that building up top. So that's a lot of money they're saving us. They found another building that was pulling theirs out. They got it for us. And they're also still in the hunt for some turf field. It's just a matter of timing, the guy said. He has the field, but it's a matter of our timing. Do we want to wait uh, to, to get it? So we'll see. We, 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 ha- we, have, uh, we have some good opportunities there. But God is truly, truly blessing our church right now. I'm excited for September because this summer we've, it's been an exciting and, and dynamic summer for us. And I just want to, uh, I just want to kind of see what God's going to do. One last thing. If you are here for the first time, in your family news bulletin, which I don't have it down there, but in there there's a welcome card. Fill that welcome card out and take it to the welcome center when you first came in this morning behind this wall. And we have a very special gift for you. If you've been coming this summer and you have not filled out that card, please fill it out. and Just kind of give me the date when you started coming. And I believe on the 28th of this month, after the second service, we're going to kind of do a pizza with the pastors out here and the foyer while pizza come in. And uh, if you've come for the first time this summer or you can just hang out if you'd like to. Um, but if, especially for those who are new, I want to get connected. I want you to get connected to the church. I want to get to know you better. I want you to get in, interact with some of the leaders that we have here. Ask questions that you have. So the uh, 28th, uh, Sunday the 28th, after the second service, we're going to do pizza out here with the pastor, and you can kind of ask any questions you want to ask. All right, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord, six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. We're in a series called Wise Up, going through the book of Proverbs, and uh, we're not going to skip, skip the uh, tough verses. And this morning, I want to point out seven things that really grieve God, to say the least. That's the nicest way I can put it. They really, really grieve God. 
This is a powerful passage, a very, very powerful. If you start to think about it, this is our God, the God that we worship, the God that we want to please. And he's saying these are seven detestable things. Seven things, six things that God hates, seven that are detestable to him. It's a powerful passage, one that I really believe that we, every single one of us, needs to consider and apply to every area of our lives. We can't just step back and say, well, that, they don't really apply to me. I'm not, I'm not that bad. You have to take a step back and say, Lord, how do these things apply to my life? The first one is haughty eyes. Every, this applies to everyone in the room. Okay, this applies to everyone in the world. Haughty eyes means you think you're better than than others. In some way, you think you're kind of better than other people. It's that whole idea of pride, pride, looking at others and saying they're not as good as I am. I'm a big Dr. Seuss fan, and this this is a story of the Sneetches. Now, the star-bellied Sneetches had bellies with stars. But the plain-bellied Sneetches had none upon Mars. No stars on their bellies. No stars upon Mars. Now, those stars weren't so big. They were really quite small. You would think such a thing wouldn't matter at all. But because they had stars, all the star-bellied Sneetches would brag. We're the best kind of Sneetch on the beaches. With their snoots in the air, they would sniff and they'd snort. They'd have nothing to do with a plain belly sort. Ronald, remember, when you are out walking, you walk past a sneech of that type without talking. Keep your snoot in the air and remember to snort. We have no truck whatever with the plain bellied sort. When the star-bellied children went out to play ball, could a plain belly get in the game? Not at all. You only could play if your bellies had stars, and the plain belly children had none upon Mars. Yeah, yeah, your belly's got no stars. Stupid little star. If there's one upon your tummy, that's just yummy. You're my chummy. If there isn't, you're a crummy, slummy, gummy, bummy, dummy. That applies likewise to daddy and your mommy. Twink, twink, twinkle, twinkle, lovely little. <laughs> that applies to your daddy and your mommy. <laughs> See, Jesus pointed out this attitude concerning the Pharisees in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, because you're going to sit back and say, well, you know, I'm not like a sneech. You know, I don't walk around like ignoring people. But it's the pride that kind of seeps in in different areas of our lives. And when Jesus was here, he pointed it out. You had the Pharisees who had that kind of attitude. So Jesus says this, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Where is pride affecting your life? Where is pride affecting your life? Do you intimidate other people? Do you intimidate other people and you make them uncomfortable with your demeanor? Do you think of other people as inferior to you in some way? And you say, well, no, no, wait, just wait, think about it. Maybe just just take the time to think about that. Are you prejudiced in any way? You look at somebody else, you're driving down the road, you see someone, or you see a different race or whatever the case may be, and you, you just in your mind, you think, you know, you drive through a certain neighborhood, you start locking your door, whatever the case, do you, it, you think about it. Do you find yourself sometimes acting or thinking because of where you are financially or where you are or how you grew up or who your parents are or whatever the case, but whatever it is, I'm trying to pull out all these different areas that where pride is affecting your life. Pride affects each of our lives. God hates pride. And don't try to water down the word hate. It means hate. God hates pride. But, but I'll tell you, with humility, we find his blessing. When we're humble, we find the blessing of God in our lives. God wants his people to be humble. Monica Baldwin wrote this. What makes humility so desirable is the marvelous thing it does to us. It creates in us a capacity for the closest possible intimacy with God. Do you want to be intimate with God? Do you want to get to know God? Do you want to understand God's will for your life and have that kind of connection with God? Then we need to strive after humility. Every single person in this room, every single person that I've ever met struggles in some way with pride. In some area of their lives with pride, we need to figure out where that is in our lives and do whatever we can to put it to death, to put it out of our lives, to work, to be more humble before God and to show humility for those around us. To not be the, you know, a little version of the sneeches in any way, shape or form. Number two, a lying tongue, a lying tongue. In the book, The Day America Told the Truth, it says that 91% 91 of the people that they surveyed said they lied if they didn't feel like the matter was, if they felt like the matter was maybe trivial. It was a trivial matter, so 91% they would lie if something was trivial. 36% said they lied when things were important. 86% of the people said they lied to their parents. 75% said they would lie to a friend. 73% said they would lie to their siblings. And 69% said they lied to their spouses. So there's a lot of lying going on here if everybody's telling the truth. And if you don't think in your mind, you're thinking, oh, you know, let's not make a big deal out of this. If, if you think lying's not a big deal, listen to the company it keeps in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. It says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who are practicing magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars... Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Sulfur, this is the second death. Now, as I was, as I was planning out the sermons, praying through it and planning it out, um, today's sermon, I read a, a story by Clara a Hull that I really liked. It said, on a beautiful fall day, four students decided to go for a drive instead of showing up for class on time. When they did arrive, the students explained to the teacher that they had had a flat tire. The teacher accepted the excuse much to their relief. Since you missed this morning's quiz, you need to take it now, she said. Please sit in the four corner seats in this room without talking. When they were seated, the teacher said, on your paper, write the answer to one question. Which tire was flat? 
<laughs> you love that? You know, we, we lie. Oh, yeah, we get away with it. We think we get away with it. We lie a little bit. Here, here's the biggest concern about lying. I believe one of, the big, one of God's biggest concerns with lying is that, you know, we start to lie, to tell a lie, but sin always progresses. And when we start to tell lies and we kind of get away with it or we become liars, once you become a liar, you, you can destroy your relationship. You certainly destroy your relationship with God. You destroy your relationship with your spouse, with your kids, with the, your coworkers, with your friends. You become a liar. People don't trust you. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 11 says, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Lying is contrary to the very nature of God. In Proverbs chapter 12, in verse 22, it tells us this, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in the man and the men who are truthful. He delights in, in, in men who are truthful and women who are truthful and students who are truthful and children who are truthful. God delights in that. Because he's very concerned about the fact that if you continue to lie, and some people have a um, predisposition to lying, it's your besetting sin. You need to be really careful if you see it in the life of your child, and you need to keep working on that in their lives. And point that out. Don't be afraid to say, you know, you have a tendency to lie, and work on that area, because you don't want them going from lying to becoming liars. Third, third hands that shed innocent blood. Hands that shed innocent blood. God hates murder. Any time that someone who they're the innocent or those who are defenseless are killed, it really grieves the heart of God. Whether that's abortion, whether that is uh, murdering someone in, 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 a, in, a, in a war, knowingly murdering someone. Now, there's a difference between, between killing and murdering, okay? And in a war situation, I know of people who have murdered people in a war-type situation. God is against, okay, any type of murder. You, you can describe the type of murder. God hates murder. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13, we are commanded, you shall not murder. God has a heart. He has compassion. He has, for, for those who are, who are weak and defenseless. But I need to kind of, you know, that you understand, but I need to point this out as well. A few weeks ago, we talked about God being a God of second chances. And there is, God is a God of second chances. And as we go through these, some of these are going to strike at your heart. And you say, you know, I, I've made that mistake. I, I've been down that road. God is a God who forgives. And if we ask for forgiveness, our God will forgive us. All we need to do is ask. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So yes, we've all made mistakes in, 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 in areas that we'll be talking about here, in different areas. We're all, we're all sinners saved by grace. But if we ask for that forgiveness, we can receive forgiveness. I just want to make sure as I go through these that people aren't feeling kind of like, you know, uh, condemned, overwhelmed. I want you to walk out feeling free and saying to yourself, how can I grow? How can I grow in each area, each one of these areas of my life? Where, where is God convicting me? How can I overcome them and become more like Jesus Christ? So hands that shed innocent blood. Now, the fourth one is a heart that devises wicked schemes. Think about that. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Wicked schemes, or in other versions, says wicked imaginations. There are, these are thoughts of iniquity. Iniquity means uh, gross immorality. 
you know, some some gross immorality, someone who is who's thinking through things and 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 then there's an action uh, that goes with it. We, we all have evil thoughts. Let's just be honest. Every if you are over whatever you have cognitive ability, whatever, we all have evil thoughts because we have a sinful nature. But devising and then carrying out evil thoughts breaks the heart of God. When, we, when a thought comes into our mind and we kind of go through it and then, we, then we, de, we devise it and then we carry out, it breaks God's heart. And let me, let me be perfectly clear about something here too. There's a big difference between thinking something and actually doing it. Thinking it in your mind and then actually carrying that out and doing it. Now, people are going to say, whoa, 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 time out, Pastor. Wait, wait a second. Sin is sin. All sin is equal in the eyes of God. People say that all the time. They just kind of leave it there. That's not true. That, that is not a true statement. Let me, let me take a moment and just address this, because I know when people say that, I know what they're saying, but a lot of people have come to me who don't know what they're saying, and they say, well, it's the same, you know, sin, it's, it's all the same to God. doesn't matter. It's all the same to God. Well, let me, let me walk through this. Theologically, all sin separates you from God, Okay. All sin condemns us, okay? So we're separated and condemned. A person can't say, well, um, you know, I can work my way to God. I, I'm, I'm a good enough person. No, I can, I'm a good person. I'm going to work my way to heaven. Uh, at least I'm better, than, I'm better than Chuck, and I'm better than him, and I'm better than her, and I'm better. You know, I, I can, if I can point out someone, I'm better than. You know, we think, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm okay because I'm better than, you know, I'm, uh, whoever. That's not, that's not the way we should be thinking. We think, well, I'm better than so-and-so. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in Psalm 51.5, it says, Surely I was sinful at birth. Okay? Sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So surely I was sinful at birth. That's why Jesus Christ came to die on a cross. Because he, he, he saved us from the penalty of sin, okay, of sin. So I can't say I'm better, I'm going to make it because I'm better than so-and-so, or I'm not as bad as so-and-so, whatever else. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to save us from the penalty of sin. It's the same reason that Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, there is no condemnation, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus' blood covers us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So all sin apart from Christ separates us from God. So in that sense, it's equal. But there is a huge difference between going to UDF down the road and stealing a pack of M&M's or going one mile over the speed limit for two seconds, going 66 in a 65 for a few seconds, which in Romans talks about we have to obey the law, so those are sins if we break the law. There's a huge difference between going over the speed limit and stealing a pack of M&Ms from UDF and killing a child in God's eyes. They're not equal. They're, they're, they're not the same. So we've got to be careful when we, when we kind of lay that out, especially when we're talking to other people who don't understand what we're talking about. There are six things that God hates, seven that are detestable to him. Hands that shed innocent blood and stealing a pack of M&Ms from UDF. No, no, no. And to add to it, I'll just throw this out too. The Holy Spirit does not convict us equally of all sin. You ever read David? David's confession after Bathsheba. Okay? The Holy Spirit does not convict us equally of all sin, and God's earthly punishments for sin are not equal. 
They're not equal. Stealing an M&M off of your, off of your sister, so her pack of M&Ms, one M&M eating and stealing it from her, is not the same as killing someone. And it, the pun, earthly punishment for those things is not equal. So we need to be really, really careful as we kind of lay that out. Yes, sin is equal in the sense that all sin separates us from God. That's why Jesus Christ had to come. But there's a difference between going 66 and a 65 and murdering someone in the eyes of God. All sin is not equal on that level. And they're not judged that way. And the Holy Spirit doesn't convict us in that way. Now, I want to make this clear now that I've said that. I want to walk through that. I need to do that sometimes because as believers in Jesus Christ, we sometimes say things like, you know, you know, we, we will find a passage of scripture or someone will say something and then we'll just all accept it and not really think through theologically what that means and just keep passing it around. So we've got to make sure that we are clear when we pass things around. So here, I want to be clear also that um, I don't want to make light of the sinful thoughts that we have. This is extremely important. I said that, you know, thinking something and acting upon it don't equal out, okay, in the eyes of God. If you act, you actually do, you actually murder someone, you think, oh, I can't stand that person, and then you go and actually murder them, there's a big difference there. But the the thoughts are important. Having sinful thoughts, I don't want to make light of this. In Matthew chapter 15, 19, it says, for out of the heart, out of the heart, this this is why it's so important. Out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false testimony and slander. We can't let these things begin to begin to take root in our lives. Thoughts permeate the heart and permeate the person. And that's where actions come from. Here's a great quote. That, you know, this is a really good quote. Listen to this. Maxine Dunham wrote this. We must be careful what we bury in our hearts. To bury something does not mean it is dead. It may simply mean we have buried something alive that will devour and destroy us from within. We need to make sure. We need to make sure that we are controlling our thoughts, that we are not allowing them to start. Because, again, we talked about this. Sin always progresses. If you give it its, if you give it its time, it's going to progress. Instead, we should be people who are controlling, having self-discipline, having spiritual discipline, and trying to become more like Jesus Christ, trying to honor him by becoming more like him. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says this, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. We make it obedient. Take every thought captive. Why? Because if you allow your thoughts to run amok, sin will always... It's like taking your, your mind, your heart becomes fertile soil, and you're planting these thoughts, and if you let them grow, they're going to bear fruit. They're going to bear fruit. So we cannot play down how important it is that we control our thoughts, that we, that we look into our own hearts, that we make sure that we're not creating a fertile soil for those seeds to be planted and to bear fruit in actions that have a profound impact on what happens in our own lives and the lives of people all around us. Number five, feet that are quick to rush into evil. This goes, this goes right back to what we were just talking about. It speaks of feet that are quick to, to carry out what has already been devised in the human heart. Quick to rush in and, and carry out the actions that have already been devised in the human heart. So you start thinking it, you kind of go through it in your mind, and then it's, it's, it's carried out. This is more than, this is more, he's talking about more than, than slipping up or, or, or falling into sin, which we, we all do at, at times. 
this is, this is executing a premeditated act of sin. You, you've allowed the thought in your mind. You haven't taken the thought captive. You're, you've allowed it to work in your mind. It starts to permeate your heart and find good fertile soil in there. And then you start to think it through and think it through. And then you, it's, it, is, it is devising premeditated sin. And you act upon it. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 16, 15 and 16 says this. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed blood. Isaiah 59, verse 7, kind of repeats the same thing. It says their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts, listen, their thoughts, their thoughts are evil thoughts. Ruin and destruction mark their ways. We need to be very, very careful. We need to be careful. You know, when, when, when we're in our lives, there's a point, you know, you could be walking right now in the wrong direction. You could be engaged in all kinds of things. You've allowed your mind to run, and now you're engaged in areas of your life you never thought you'd be engaged in. You're doing things you never thought you'd do. You're coming here this morning with a real burden on your heart, thinking, gosh, you know, Lord God, how do I get out of this? How do I? You need to, at this point right now in your life, you need to confess your sin before God. It's breaking his heart. And you need to turn. You need to turn. You know, repentance is pretty simple. We used to teach our kids this in a catechism. It, to repent means to be sorry for your sin, hate it, and stop it. And right now your heart is breaking because of the things you're doing. You know what? You need to turn around. You need to walk away from it. You need to hate it and you need to stop it. Do the best you can. God is waiting for you. One of the great things, I've used this before, but I, I'm going to keep using it. You know, we, you, you're right now, you've walked away from God. You think you're leaving him behind. You've walked and you've walked and it's been a long time since you spent time in the word or come to church or you've been a phony and everything. And you think, oh, if, if the moment you say, God, God, forgive me. I have messed up so badly in my life. I don't know what I've been doing. It's like I got caught up in this rut and I just, and I, I don't know what to do. And you think, why should I even bother now? Because God's not going to accept me. It's going to take me so long to get back to God. And he's not going to, but here's what you do. When you repent, you turn around, he's like right in your face. See, he never walked away from you. You think you walked away from him. But the moment you turn around, he's right there. It's not like you have to walk back and get, oh Lord, let me crawl back into your good graces. God loves you. God loves you. God, all God is waiting for is for us to repent of some of the things that we're doing. And boom, he's right there. He's right there. Turn around. Be sorry for sin. Hate it and stop it. And God will continue to work in your life. Six, false witness. False witnesses. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16 tells us, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. This is, this is, this is, is talking about perjury that ruins the lives of innocent people. You know, and remember we talked about a few, uh, few weeks ago, actually a few months ago, we talked about why perjury, we went through the Old Testament and, and, uh, and Exodus, the Ten Commandments, why perjury is so important, why this was so significant. You think, come on, Ten Commandments, you know, perjury or lying or false witness. Well, here's why it's so important, because in, in Old Testament times, if you perjured, if you, if you lied about someone else, they could be put to death. You get a couple of people to lie about it, you know, so-and-so over here, I saw him do such-and-such, and you lie about that person, that person could be put to death. This was serious business. And so you think to yourself, well, I'm safe on that one because I don't do that kind of thing. But how often do we, okay, and we don't have to raise hands, but we all should, we all could. How often do we listen or spread rumors or half-truths about other people? 
You say, well, I'm not really a gossip. I don't really talk. But do you, do you engage in listening to other people? Someone starts talking and you're standing there in the circle and you're just listening to them ramble on and tear someone all to pieces and you're kind of nodding or you know, maybe you throw a few thoughts in, but you know, you're, not, you're not the one instigating, but you're the one listening. We shouldn't even listen. I've seen, I've seen this happen twice in my life where there was people in a circle and, uh, and I watched and interact and there, people were talking about someone else and one was my wife and we were in Florida and she was with a group of ladies and then one lady just started going off and tearing else, someone else down and Deb literally just looked her in the face and turned around and in mid-sentence just walked out of the group, walked right away from her. You know how uncomfortable that is for a person who's sitting there trying to trash someone else? Especially if you say something like, you know, that person is not really here. I don't think it's appropriate that we should be talking about them without them being here. They, no one will ever talk in front of you again. That'll be it. You will, you will never have anyone gossiping or ripping on someone in front of you again. Listening. You know, we're not maybe perjuring ourselves in court, but how about listening or spreading rumors or false truths about other people? How often do we watch people perjure themselves in court? I mean, whether it's just a, you know, a, a person who's been caught doing something, they get up and lie on the stand, and you know they're lying. They found, you know, someone else will come up and say something completely opposite, so someone's perjuring themselves. How about sports figures? Did you take steroids? Absolutely not. Never even saw any. What steroids? What is a steroid? Never even saw a steroid. Did they do something, make you better or something? I don't know. I, you know, they perjure themselves. Uh, political leaders. I did not, whatever. I mean, perjury, perjury, perjury. And again, maybe you haven't perjured yourself, but you got to start thinking, how am I linked here? What am I doing that would offend God? How often, how often do we see blogs filled with lies that literally destroy people's lives? Ever had anyone blog about you? Don't even look at it. I mean, if they did, just ignore it if you can. But if, if someone blogs about you, blogging, people just get on there. They just say, they can say whatever they want. I think so-and-so is the biggest whatever, blah, 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 blah. And they make things up. I was reading, uh, and I know I'm talking a lot about history uh, in the last few sermons. I like reading history. But I was reading uh, about George Washington, and uh, I, think, I believe it was Madison. Uh, George Washington was writing to, to Madison, and the, the British got, they got hold of his letter. And what they did was they took the letter... And they just added in one little line. I mean, you know, it, it was, you know, you could pick things out of the letter. Probably you could pick on them for nothing that was immoral, nothing wrong. But here's what they added. And just as they said that George Washington said to Madison, he said, um, oh, boy, I really enjoy spending time in the slaves quarters, blah, 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 on my, you know, uh, on my, my farm. Now, you know, it's just one line. But that's what happens in blogs. They lie. They'll, they'll twist the truth to destroy people's lives. Texting. How, many, how often, now we can get down to brass tacks here, how often have you sat on a, on a, on a couch with your friends, and this I find truly amazing anyway, you're actually sitting there, you're actually, your fannies are touching, and you're texting each other instead of talking. <laughs> but here's the problem. There's four of you, and the two people on the outside are texting negative and, and hurtful things about the person sitting in the middle because they can't see what you're texting. So you're, you're slandering someone without them even knowing it right in the same room, but they don't know it. How often do we take our... our um, our social network sites and, and post something about someone that would hurt the person's feelings, trying, to, trying to, to bring about pain and suffering in their lives, trying to hurt them in some way. I'm going to tell you something. God hates it all. 
God hates it all. It's detestable to God. All of it. So we need to look into our own hearts and say, you know, Jeff, are you, is, there, is there a way that you're doing this? Are you engaging in conversations that are, that are hurting someone else? Do you participate in those things? Sure, I haven't got, I've never, I promise I've never perjured myself in court. But you know what? Maybe, maybe I'm living this out in a different way by inflicting harm on someone in, in the way I, I'm listening or what I'm saying or what I'm writing, whatever. I, don't, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But I have to ask myself those questions because God hates it all. It's detestable. Number seven, the man who stirs up dissension among brothers. You're thinking, oh, man, I could think of a lot of other things. There are a lot worse than that to kind of add to that list. See, the emphasis here is on the man who intentionally seeks to destroy the harmony and unity among brothers and sisters in Christ. This person is intentionally, intentionally seeking to destroy the harmony and unity of the body of Christ. The church, the church, you are the body of Christ. And when anyone attacks the body of Christ, it is like attacking Jesus. They're attacking Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. So you can't kind of scoot around and say, well, I'm not attacking Jesus. Yes, you are. Jesus is the head of the church, his body. And when someone attacks the body of believers, they're attacking Jesus himself. In Romans 16, 17, it reminds us, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. Stay away from them. Don't allow people to come in and nothing is going on in our church. I have no problems, okay? So don't think, what's going on? Anything going on? Nothing. We're good, okay? Right now we're good. So I'm just, I'm able to share this right from my heart. You are the body of Christ. This is not Jeff Greer's church. Jeff Greer will die someday and another pastor will be in my place and it will still be Grace Chapel and people will still come. This is our church and every single person in this church is responsible to defend this body. We should all feel really secure and comfortable in this church knowing that if the elders hear that someone's slandering someone else, that we will come to your aid. We will defend you. And they should also know when someone starts yammering like this about you behind your back, whatever else, or someone starts falsely accusing that the people in this church will defend not only you, but defend in a sense the entire body because that thing's, that can start festering and people start taking sides and they don't like this or whatever the case may be. And that can affect the entire body and drag the name of Jesus Christ through the mud. As a non-believer stand there listening to believers rip on someone else going, gee, I thought they were, I thought they were Christians. I thought they were different. Matthew 5, 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. I have seen churches destroyed by believers who think they have the right to divide the church because somehow the church is not theologically in line with them. We're not, we're not over here, or maybe, I'm not going to pick on anything because I don't want to pick on anybody, but we're not over here on the theological scale, or maybe we're not over here on the theological scale, and a person comes in, and I'm not saying it the way that I should say it, I'm not doing it the way I should do it, and so it's like, oh, that Pastor Jeff, he's a nice guy, of course, he's a nice guy, but I'm going to tell you something. You just listen to him. He never talks about her. He never emphasizes and blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, he's got 25 people in the church all worked up. And those people and the other people get upset and they start fighting with each other. And next thing you know, there's 50 people or 100 people or 200 people walk out because blah, blah, blah. For what? For what? Because the church didn't go along with his theology. Be careful of these folks. Be careful. 
protect the body. This is our body. Protect it. There are non-believers who will come into this church, and you think, you think I'm just saying this, you're completely wrong. I've seen it happen, not in Grace Chapel, when I was in Massachusetts. There are people in, whether they're in Cincinnati, Massachusetts, Florida, I don't care what state it is, that will come into this church with a direct desire to bring down the body of Christ. They don't like Christians. They don't like the church. Maybe politically we're not aligned with them or whatever the case may be. So they feel totally justified in coming in here, sheep in there with their wolves, mixing in amongst you and basically stirring up or accusing someone of something or whatever, anything to stir up problems within the church to keep our focus off of what's important, which is Jesus and what he's called us to do. And on all this trivial garbage and then pull everything down. I have seen believers or just folks in general who think that, you know, what they're doing it's, it's kind of it's justified they, because they you know why? Because they have the best intentions and they see something. They think it's that Jesus is on their side. And so therefore, with the best intentions, they can they can tear everything up. But here's the interesting part. It seems to me that both sides think that they're protecting Jesus in some way and their intentions are completely pure. And so instead of doing what they should be doing biblically, it's like bang, bang and trying to pull things apart. We we not me, not the elders. We're going to do our job. But the church as a whole needs to watch out for these things, needs to watch out for them. We as believers in Jesus Christ need to make sure that 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 we are honoring God in what we do. Um, When there's a difference in the body of Christ, when there's a difference in the body of Christ, we need to be thinking about this. Number one, we talk less, we pray more. Okay, we talk in in the future. If we run into problems, we talk less, we pray more. Okay? And then we ask this question, how is this honoring Jesus Christ? How am I honoring Jesus and how I'm handling this? This is important to God. Division amongst the body of believers. This is important to God, protecting his body. This is extremely significant to Jesus, that we honor him in all that we say and do. As long as I'm the pastor of this church, I will do everything in my power to protect the people of this church, to protect the body of Christ that he has given to my care, and to also make sure that we don't dishonor the name of Jesus within our own church and in our community. We have to, we have to do everything we can to not drag the name of Jesus Christ through the mud in our community. If that means even suffering in some way ourselves, putting aside our own personal whatever to make sure that the body of Christ is not that the Jesus Christ name and this body is not dragged through the mud in our community because people need to know Christ and we need to be his ambassadors and his examples. You see, as followers of Christ, we are expected to live a life worthy of our calling. You have been called from, from, from eternity and eternity. You have been called by God to be his child And we need to make sure that we are living a life worthy of that call. Let me close with this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11. It says, finally, brothers, goodbye. And this is what he says. I love this. Aim for perfection. Are we ever going to achieve perfection on this earth? No. That's not. No, we're not. But we will when we get a glorified body. But listen to what he's saying. Aim for perfection. Don't allow these things to tear your life apart. Take, you know, take control of your mind. Don't let your mind wander. Hold on to these things. Have spiritual discipline. Don't allow your attitudes to come into turn into your actions. He says, "Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace." 
and the God of love and peace will be with you. Our God wants us to live in peace. Our God wants us to be of one mind because a church of one mind, a body of one mind can, can, can overcome incredible obstacles, can, can do amazing things, can do, we can do immeasurably more than all we can ever ask or imagine. Why? Because we are of one mind and Jesus Christ is the one who gives us the strength to do it. We need to strive, to aim, to aim for perfection. And when we do that, we will know that will be a church that honors God. We can know that we'll be growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We can know that we can change not only our own church, but our community and the world around us. Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. And Father, we pray that you would help us walk the road that you have paved for us, Lord God, that we would not swerve to the right or to the left, that we would stay straight, and that you would help us, Lord, overcome these things. Lord, in whatever area, these seven areas, whatever areas we struggle with the most individually and as a church, I pray that you would help us, that we would open up our hearts, that we would confess our sin, that we would leave it even here this morning, Lord God, and then you would give us the strength to walk this day by day in our lives and over the days and the months and the years to come that we would be transformed into different people. Put aside, allow us to put aside our pride, our struggles, our besetting sins, our difficulties. Lord God, help us become the people you've created us to be, the church you've created us to be, so that we can fulfill everything you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.